one half of the Booze and Boobs podcast, and this is my other half. Hi, I'm Katrina. Welcome to our podcast. We hope you love it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Booze and Boobs podcast. We are going to be discussing The Black Phone, which came out this year. It is my number one movie of 2022 so far. I haven't seen everything that's come out, but pretty much every time I see any movie, I just come back home and I watch The Black Phone again. (laughs) I begrudgingly watched it a second time to give it a second chance. So Rachel and I have very different um, feelings about this movie. Yeah, I told her to save all of her thoughts for the podcast because my immediate text after we finished watching it for her first time for the podcast I was like did you love it and she just didn't immediately say yes best movie of the year so um we might not be friends anymore after this podcast but we'll see how it goes we had a good run Eh, five episodes I mean I guess it's decent better than zero so uh this movie was directed by Scott Derrickson and written by C. Robert Cargill both of them are the writer-director team from Sinister uh, and Ethan Hawke stars in that, and he also plays our antagonist, the Grabber, in the Black Phone. I'm just going to start off by saying I am a Grabber simp. I love him, and I will not be taking any critique at this time. Thank you. I will say he does like the voices that he does are nice. Like I do, I do like the way that he uses his voice. Oh, his voice, his body. He wears a mask. 99.9% of the whole movie and I'm like wow this is the hottest Ethan Hawke has ever looked and it's not even <laughs> like that his face is covered because he is very attractive but I'm just like there wow was, he's so fucking hot there was one point um I think it was when he just had the top mask on I I made a note and I was like why does he look like Kevin Bacon right now <laughs> <laughs> with his little flippy hair I get it yeah so I was like no hate I mean Kevin Bacon is obviously still a gorgeous man, but yeah, they can both get it. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I would just like to note that uh, some of the scene names that Rachel wrote on here are pretty great. So I just wanted to note this one. So super black, super massive black hole baseball scene from Twilight. So any movie that has a baseball scene, it just now is Twilight from now. <laughs> um since i had seen this movie before katrina gave me the task of like naming the scenes as we separated everything for our notes and i kind of gave up halfway through but i feel like what i did contribute was pretty hysterical i did rename some of them when i watched it the second time it bothered me that there were no names oh oh okay well this will be an adventure for both of us because i have not revisited (laughs) all right let's get into it okay so we open up with like a little league baseball game. It um, tells us at the bottom, it's North Denver, 1978. And Finney is the pitcher, which I'm like, good for him because that is not an easy task. I would never want to be a pitcher. I played softball. It was not fun. I was just a catcher, but he's throwing some real heaters and we get a little close up of the batter. He misses. And then finally, everybody's chanting for Bruce who is the batter and then everybody's chanting for Finney who's pitching uh he has two strikes pitches it and Bruce just hits it straight out of the park and he's just defeated and he honestly like Bruce he could have ran faster around the bases like he took his time I get it but he was rubbing that in so after the game 12 I get it I thought it was cute honestly when I watched that the first time I was like Wait, I like them both. Who am I supposed to root for here? Like, who's the bad <laughs> right. guy? Well, because Bruce didn't even come off as, like, mean or anything afterwards. Because after they said good game to everybody, Bruce came up to him and was like, oh, you almost had me. And just tells Finney that his arm is mint and leaves it at that, which will come in later on in this movie. Spoilers. After the game, it flashes to Bruce. He's still like on a high, smiling, riding his bike down the road. He's, it, you get some real small town vibes because he's waving to some girls and like paper boy. And then the screen starts to like get blurry as this black van pulls up and his face just drops, which it then cuts 
to the credits, which is just newspapers of missing children. And honestly, the creepy music that they play over the credits make the photos and images super scary, but the actual content is not. Because it's like just kids who scrape their knees or bloody lip or something. Yeah, yeah, I guess I see your point there because, you know, they're amping it up, but there are kids injured. There's, you know, the newspaper articles that all the kids have been missing and then, mm-hmm. the, you know, the grabber strikes again. So yeah. I mean, we're just, we're just getting into this world. Something is amiss. Mm-hmm. It's just shocking to me, like, because Bruce was obviously not the first child and it's just, you know, everybody goes on living their life like it's normal, even though it's a small community and. I don't know. It's just, it was scary back then. It's a good thing we don't have kids. We don't have to worry about them going missing. No joke. Just got to worry about your dog running away. Maybe all right. She'll come back. Uh, so our next scene is we are at the Blake household. So that's where Finney lives with his dad and his sister. They are getting ready for school, eating breakfast. And I guess uh, Finney is eating his cereal too loudly because his dad just looks at him over his newspaper, just staring at him. His sister Gwen comes and is getting bread out of the bread box and the lid just kind of slams down on the counter. And she's just like, sorry, daddy. So we get, you know, it's a really good way to show that there's tension in the family by something so trivial as just making yourself breakfast is potentially enough to like set their dad off. And that's really all we get from them. And then they're about to go to school. They're on the street walking. And I never, I never had that experience. I was homeschooled for pretty much all of my education. So like my journey to school was the kitchen table. I lived in the middle of nowhere. So I rode the bus to school every day and I slept 90% of it because they picked me up at 630 in the morning. And I just got on the bus and fell asleep. So. Yeah. So we never had that experience and the the bonding time of being able to walk to school and get your morning steps in. While they're on the way to school, uh, there is a group of kids shouting and Gwen and Finney happen upon a little fight scene between a couple of kids. One is called Moose, who is large and aggressive. And then we have Robin Ariano, who, uh, don't they call him like a beaner or something? Like, terrible? Like, he's Hispanic, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Robin does not take kindly to that and uh, kicks the shit out of him. Yeah, as he should. Beats him up. I I would do it. (laughs) And then all the kids around him are like, yeah, like, hit him, Robin, get him. You know, hit him harder. And Gwen is so into it. And then Finney just takes her and is like, we got to go get to school. He does not want to be involved in any of the fights. Mm -hmm. Which is funny to me because it's like Gwen is like 100% gun-ho violence. And then Finney is just like avoided at all costs. Like they have, they live, like they live in the same household, but they have completely opposite reactions to violence. Yeah. That's a really good point too, because they, even the, the next conversation that Gwen and Finney have, you know, Gwen's like, well, that's Moose. Like he used to beat you up. And Finney's just like, I know, I don't care. They make mention of another kid, Vance Hopper, who used to also bully Finney, but he was taken by the grabber. No one is really sad that he's gone. So hmm. it's honestly, I, I kind of think of it as a fair judgment because, you know, you can be sad for what happened, but like at least... Finney's not getting beat up anymore by by Vance. Right. So, and then yeah. a little fun fact is as they're walking to school and, and their conversation kind of fades out, there's a black van that just drives behind them a little bit. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we've seen that black van before. <laughs> the next scene is Finney in science class. Um, he's fidgeting with his rocket pin and he is distracted by the same girl that he was distracted by from his baseball game so Finney has a little crush but is too shy to you know make any kind of move about that the bell rings and he just kind of like books it into the hallway a kid approaches him 
and he just keeps on like booking it and he goes to a bathroom and hides in a stall and here's my first thing so he's hiding from bullies mm-hmm. isn't there like a safety and numbers thing like aren't you less likely to get the shit beat out of you in the hallway than in a bathroom I think he was hoping that he was fast enough that he wasn't seen going into the bathroom I don't know but part of me is like bad move because now you're alone now you have okay but he's literally like 12 years old like he's but he's been bullied for a while he should know better he went to go hide somewhere okay like (laughs) get off of him all right fine fine fine. I'm not gonna have you be smart to my homeboy Uh, listen I'm a Gwen fan more than a Finney fan to be honest well I mean Gwen's amazing I'm I'm a Blackbone fan so everybody involved is my favorite even the dad my favorite we can get into this. I think that the dad is a great character and a great performance. Yeah. Is he a good person? No, but right. that character contributes to everything else that is going to kind of play out. So I think everything is well-rounded and well done. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I have no beef with any of the characters or any of like the performances. It just storyline is off for me. I don't know. We'll get, we'll get there. I'm so uh, I'm so torn because it's like I want to get into everything. I feel like we should we should keep going talking about yeah. everything, but I feel like our end time is going to be longer than most episodes because we haven't discussed how we feel about this. So we'll be able yeah. to be like, and then this point, and then that point, and that point. So so this will be a little bit of a back and forth. We're going to kind of run through the narrative of the story, and then we'll piece it all together in the end. Yeah, and. It will be, it will have to come to like an agree to disagree because Rachel and I are both way too stubborn to admit either of us are wrong. So, um, but I don't even know what you're wrong about. I never so, said I was wrong. Well, I did because you don't want <laughs> it. You, you can't say I'm wrong if you don't even know what's, what's wrong yet. That's not fair. Yeah. So I don't know what's wrong. So anyway, Finney is in the bathroom. He's hiding from the bullies who find him anyway. And they call him out to come out because they know where he is. So we've got our hero, Robin, who just comes into the bathroom. I'm pretty sure that he knew what was going on because Robin is also a BA and I love him. Most definitely. And he's just so cool and casual. Like he goes in to wash his hands and he doesn't even acknowledge the other boys. He just says, hey, Finny, how's it going? And Finny's just like, oh, keep it on, keep it on. Just nonchalantly makes a comment about oh moose has got some sharp teeth my knuckles bled all first period and then uh threatens the bullies basically to leave him alone or they're gonna have to deal with robin and the bullies yeah he's like you fuck with finn then i fuck with you (laughs) and i'm like yeah you little 12 year old boy you get it yeah (laughs) so uh they they take him for his word they get the fuck out but um, well, yeah, I mean, Robin has a, a reputation like he's a baddie. So mm-hmm. those boys, they folded like they just left right away. Yeah. And I mean, part of that reputation is, you know, when he was talking to Finney about the fight, he was like, oh, you really got him bad. And Robin said, I didn't plan to fight him. But he said the blood's for the crowd. It's better for the crowd so that people know not to fuck with you. Which, I mean, makes sense. No, I think it's good. And then, Robin, there's just a quiet moment where he's like, you know, one of these days you're going to have to stand up for yourself. And Finn's like, I know. But then the conversation kind of changes, and then they end up talking about, you know, the movies that are coming out. And then they talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it was just one thing I noticed, because Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out in 1974, and the movie has clearly stated it's come out in 1978. And... Finney says that he you know he's not allowed to watch that movie which I get because he's a literal child but that like one day if it comes on tv so it just kind of makes me wonder you know how long did things take to go from movies to be showing on tv back in the 70s because I just I wasn't there I don't know I didn't expect it to be like the 30-day streaming thing like what we have now but well and who knows how long things were in theaters you know, was it in theaters for a year? Was it not? Yeah. Because yeah, no, yeah. who knows? 
So then our next little scene is from Gwen's perspective, she's in school and then she's pulled out of class to go to the principal's office where there are two detectives waiting. And they start questioning her saying that they heard from Bruce's sister, the boy who got kidnapped in the first scene, that Bruce's sister and Gwen had talked and Gwen said that she had a dream about Bruce getting taken. There were black balloons there which is apparently a detail that the detectives know, but that was never released to the public. So they want to talk to her about how did you know that? So when she keeps telling them, you know, like I had a dream and they just don't believe her. She was nice, you know, in the beginning, but then when they just kept grilling her, she just called them uh, dumb fucking fart knockers and that her dreams are right sometimes. Is what she ends up telling him in the end. This is my least favorite scene in the whole thing. And when I first watched the movie, because Gwen gets real aggressive real fast. I mean, beyond the fact that at least nowadays, I can't speak for whatever was going on in the 70s. Like these detectives are questioning her without her parents. The principal is there. So I guess, you know, there's some kind of a guardian, you know, adult presence that she knows there. But she just, like, went off because she's like, oh, you think I'm the grabber? I took him. I took all the kids. I killed them all. I'm like, no, they didn't ask that. Like, to me, they were really being like, how do you know this? What's going on? Explain your dreams. How are you feeling this? And she just snaps. And at first, I was like, I really don't want to not like this girl character that Mm -hmm. I feel like we're going to have the whole time. But then even... I mean, by the end of the movie, you know, I'm in absolute love with her. And then every time I see it, I'm just like, eh, it's not my favorite scene, but it doesn't bother me as much as it did the first time. But for me, it makes sense because it's just like, it's her defense because she's been told by her dad, your dreams mean nothing. And she's probably terrified of her dad. And then when the cops go, when the cops visit her dad, guess what happens? So I think it's fear. She's trying to deflect and defend herself so that they don't pursue it further because she doesn't want to make it a big deal because she's afraid of her dad. I mean, it makes sense in context. I just think her defense of like, you think I'm the grabber doesn't fall into that. I just, it's it's just just deflection with me. I think she's just trying to deflect and change the subject from her dreams. I mean, I don't know. that's all fine because, you know, we keep going into the movie, but, yep. you know, that was kind of like an intense thing. And then it's after school and then we learn, you know, it's Friday and there's apparently a Friday routine where Gwen goes and stays with her friend every Friday night. So then Finney's like, okay, well, have a good time. I'll take care of dad because we already know it's a volatile family situation. So, right. you know, the kids have to take care of him. Yeah, dad's an alcoholic, so you have to make sure he doesn't die and choke on his vomit, basically. Finney goes home, and his dad is passed out, so he decides he's going to watch a horror movie. Um, And it's like a black and white. I couldn't even tell you what the movie was, to be honest. But it's just like black and white, and but the it's like very bloody, and the blood is like bright red. And he's like terrified, but trying to be super quiet. So he doesn't wake his dad up and he passes out in the living room. And I put on here like the TV, like when he passed out was just like, had a blank, like little circle thing on it or something. And I was like, ah, no George Lopez back then to wake him up at 2 (laughs) a.m. Yeah, Yeah, I know that there were stories my mom had told me that, you know, the TVs went off at a certain time. I can't remember if it was like midnight or something. And then, you know, they'd be off until the morning programming. Like there would Mm -hmm. just be no programming. And I was like, yeah, not for me. I need to watch TV at three o'clock in the morning. What else am I going to do in my life? Think? No, thanks. (laughs) Sleep? Never. That's not my fault. So the next morning, Finn wakes up to um, shouting and crying from the kitchen. And this scene just like broke my heart. Like it made my heart hurt so much. The dad is beating... Gwen with a belt asking why did the cops show up to his work 
And she said, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't tell them anything. And she basically threatens him that um, if he hits her again, she's going to drop his alcohol. He flinches at her and she drops it. I was like, she was not bluffing. Um, So obviously he beats her some more and just yells at, you know, you're not your mother. You don't see things that are there. Your dreams are just dreams. And like makes her repeat, you know, my dreams are just dreams. She did a really good job in this scene. Like a really good job. Yeah, I thought the scene was great because when the dad is like, you're not your mother and relating to the cops showing up, talking about her dreams, like we don't know what has happened to their mother yet, but you know, there has to be some kind of a tie that either the dad thought the mom was crazy at that point or something else was going on. So, you know, you can honestly just see, and it's not an excuse for the dad, but there's just pain in all of them. Yeah. And when he's done, he tells them to go watch TV and says, no ice on that bottom. I want you to think about what you did, which she didn't do anything, but she's obviously going to think about it. Like, yeah, but that's punishment. I think this kind of just shows a little bit of like the relationship that Finn and Gwen have because they go to sit on, sit and watch TV and she just like leans her head on him for like comfort. But for yeah, me, I'm just Finney like, was screaming at the dad to get him to stop beating Gwen. But the dad, you know, when he sends Gwen out, he's like, you know, if you do anything like this, you'll get it just as bad. Uh-huh. And the, those are both kids who know what a beating is like. And yeah. it's terrible. But, you know, which is plot. probably well, and which is probably why Finn can take a beating from kids. Because if he can take a beating from a grown-ass adult, he can take a beating from another child. Yeah, for sure. So we kind of get a little bit of a a break in the trauma for more trauma. Because our next mini scene, like, I don't even know if it's a whole minute long. is just Robin no. behind a store. He's just walking. Um, there's an empty parking lot. And he just kind of turns the corner. And then out of focus just a little bit, we see a black van. And then someone standing outside of it, kind of dressed up like a magician. I think on the side of the van, it says like abracadabra. Yeah. So, you know, you you can't really, really tell because it's out of focus and in the background, but it looks like a red vest, black top hat, kind of a, like a, a magician cape. look. Mm-hmm. I named this scene just as soon as I pop- it popped up. I was like, scene eight. Bye, Robin. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's pretty short. It's just... just we see him turn the corner and then there's somebody standing outside the van and then it blurs and then the phones are ringing and um there's a search party for robin and and the dad goes into the living room and asks if he if they know robin and he can't pronounce the last name but yeah it's robin ariano and it's a hispanic last name because the dad gets a call like the phone's ringing like all the neighbors are like you know yeah do you know where my son is do you know where my son is do you know where my son is And for me, I was thinking about it and I was like, can you imagine like they've had to do this like what five times now? Like as a parent, you have you gotta be like, I'm sorry. Uh a fifth kid, like another kid has gone missing. Like like it's your kids' friends. I I would I would hate to have to break the news. That's why you just don't have kids. You don't have to do that. Yeah, exactly. And then we cut to Finney's in his room getting ready for bed and Gwen comes in and says that, you know, she's sorry because they just know, they know what happened. They know the grabber got him and Finney kind of doesn't want to admit it because Gwen says something like, I know that was your friend. And Finney says, is my friend. Uh And Finney asks Gwen if she can do anything, if she can help. So she says that she'll try. She goes to her room and we kind of see what her, I kind of call it an altar. And and what it looks like it's, she's got one of those, you know, kind of big doll houses. And when you open it up, she's got a little new Testament. She's got a crucifix. She had a couple tarot cards too. Like it's kind of a, a mix of things, but she's praying and she's specifically praying to Jesus and asking for guidance. And, you know, will he show her? a dream or or anything that might help save Robin 
and then her dad kind of like you know you you know how when you you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing in your room like you're up late or something and you hear like your parents out there so she just ran her way into her bed and she didn't finish her prayer so she goes back to it and she's like amen (laughs) and then she (laughs) hops back in bed yeah I was gonna say and he just tells her like oh you're not supposed to be playing this late because it I thought he was gonna catch her for praying but then I realized it's a dollhouse so she has it kind of hidden from him which is one of those things I like I made a note earlier like after her beating and stuff it's like fear creates lies in children that's you know you know, if you lead with fear, people are going to lie to you to avoid punishment and anger and everything. That's why I didn't come out for three years. <laughs> hey! We can talk about that on another one. We'll, we'll find a more specific movie for that. <laughs> for that. Um, so the next scene is the police show up to speak with Gwen again. And she says, I haven't done anything, which is another one of those things where it's like, I already got in trouble for you. What are you doing here? And Finn is getting beat up by bullies now that Robin is gone and he has nobody to protect him. Well, and until. Until Gwen. She's like a little chihuahua. She's yeah, running she in there. on the corner. She picked up a huge rock and then she starts wailing on those boys. She gets, you know, the shit rocked out of her too yeah she so. gets kicked straight in the jaw and finn yeah, is I, just like taking kicks and kicks like but yeah, i just love how creative she is with her like name calling yeah she really gets them if she can't hurt them with rocks she'll hurt them with words i get it so then we're in science class and finney is sitting next to donna and donna makes mention that everybody's talking about that fight that that happened that morning Finney is really embarrassed by it, especially when Donna says that her his sister's really cool for like helping him in the fight. And she's like, I wish my brother like would do that for me. And then I was thinking, you know what? My brother would do that for me. Like I'm the only one, or like he's the only one who can beat me up, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So if I was getting waylaid, my brother would absolutely do some stuff. And he's 10 years older than me, so he could do some damage. Well, let's say like my sisters would most definitely like fight some people for me. And I promise you, nobody wants to fight my sister, Faye. She's a freaking like Mack truck. I, I'll do it. I feel like you would lose, but you would probably, I don't know. I don't know. We've had, Katrina and I have had this conversation before where she thinks that she could take me. Like if we really I, had to fight. I don't I just know. Don't it's hard. So. I think it depends on the circumstances. I think it depends on why we're fighting. Like, am I trying to fight you to hurt you? Or am I trying to just keep you from hurting me? Because there's a difference. I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, but this is the thing. Like, neither of us know. And we we have never physically fought each other. And we don't really I've never know even. I've never been in a physical fight. I fought my sisters. I have. I've never started a fight. But I have always finished them. That was always my dad's my brother. But he's 10 years older than me. So sometimes he just won and it wasn't fair. But that's it. He's the only one who's ever beaten me. No, but like even to this day, like Faye would beat my ass. She's super nice. She's like the sweetest person. But if she needed to, she could beat my ass. Most definitely. Hands down. That's like one person I would admit that could probably win. Like you and me, it could go back and forth. Like maybe uh, I would be done yeah well the two of us I'm like I feel like I would win but I would we'd have to fight to know for sure and now we are to my favorite part of the movie well one of my favorite parts the beginning of my favorite parts of the movie this is (laughs) what I labeled the scene as wreck my plans that's my man because it is Friday again Gwen is going over to her friend's house so Finn is walking home alone and then we come across a man with a black van. And he, you know, is stumbling out of the back, like, you know, trips over the curb or, you know, wink, wink, something, trips over, whatever. Uh-huh. And he drops his grocery bags. And he's just like, oh, you know, golly gee willikers, would you believe this? I've cracked my eggs. 
and <laughs> Finney's just like, oh, like, you know, let me help you. You drop your stuff. And then this is one time. So it's Ethan Hawke is the grabber. His face is still kind of painted like grayish, whitish. He's got, you know, big tinted sunglasses on like a yellowy dark tint. And then uh, as a thank you for Finney helping him, he's like, would you like to see a magic trick? And I'm like, okay, Joker vibes. I love this. And Finney's excited by it because, I mean, this is the 70s magic. Yay. And he just kind of looks at the back of the van. He's like, hey, are those black balloons? And then the grabber says, yeah. And he opens up the back door of his van. It's not like a bottom to top. They're like two side doors, vans like that. And then uh, he takes hold of like the big bouquet of balloons. And then he the grabber grabs him and it's actually a a really good visual because like all of the balloons and like they're at different heights and and lengths and things like that they kind of hide Finney's body while he's grabbing him Uh and he uses so in the short story this this movie is based off of the short story by Joe Hill who uh surprise fact is Stephen King's son I I knew he was an author but for some reason I didn't put it together that that was his pen name because sometimes he writes under king so i didn't get it at first when i was watching this um in the book it's a bug spray that you know just kind of knocks the kids out when he takes them it we don't really see exactly what it is so i'm just going to assume it's bug spray but finney still has his rocket pen so it has like a, a sharp top and he stabs through the arm of the grabber right before he gets thrown into the van the the bug spray starts setting in and then we get a beautiful shot from Finney's point of view looking at the grabber who's outside the van it's like a little bit tilted and then he just slams the door and I'm just like so happy I love it <laughs> it's so beautiful you know it's funny because you said that um he gives off joker vibes and I've seen people reference joker vibes but like in that moment I'm really just getting, like, evil Willy Wonka. Yeah, I mean, that works, too. The glasses and the hair. Not not the old Willy Wonka, like the Johnny Depp Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Um, I just also think the Joker is hot, too. So, Wreck-Rack Plans, that's my man. But that also works because he literally is wrecking his plans because Finney's plans were to just go home. And his plans and his life just got wrecked. For sure. Because now he's a kidnapping victim. Oh, that sucks for him. Poor guy. Lifetime trauma to add on to his already existing lifetime trauma. The next scene, Finney is waking up in a basement, still kind of blurry. The grabber is there talking about how Finney fucked up his arm and everything, and he's pissed off. At this scene, he's wearing just like the top part. Like there's no mouth part of the mask here. And the first time I saw this, I wrote, I feel like this guy is nicer than his dad, which on second thought, maybe not. Because then I also put, can he switch parents? This dude's being very nice. But then I I saw the other side and I was like, okay, maybe he's not so nice. Um, Yeah. I mean, the grabbers are super interesting character because I feel like we should take a minute and kind of like mention the mask. So, I mean, maybe you've seen the movie posters or anything like that. So he's got you know, kind of like a devilish looking mask. Sometimes it has horns and it's, it's two pieces where there's like an eye and a nose covering and then a mouth covering. And mm-hmm. throughout the movie, we see different ones. Sometimes like when, he, when the grabber has Finney at first in the basement, there's no mouth to it, which is very scary. Sometimes it's a big smile Sometimes it's a big frown. Uh And I feel like, because I read this short story one time, but I don't remember there ever being a mention of a mask. And I think that that's just a really interesting aspect to it to still be able to convey some kind of emotion. Yeah. Because he never mentions. Really a blank face. Yeah. And he, no one ever really mentions the mask or the meaning of the mask or what the different like, like expressions are. I think it just kind of like is he's trying to reflect 
you know, maybe he's emotionally stunted and he can't show his emotions. So he chooses his, his mask based on what he's feeling. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The grabber kind of like switches it up and he's trying to be nice and comforting and be like, Oh, can I offer you a soda? And then you hear a phone ring upstairs. Finn sees the black phone on the wall and he tries to call somebody and there's no luck. It's not connected. He sees that the wire's just hanging there. Um, and we kind of get a picture of the basement in general. So there's a small window with like some metal bars across it. It looks almost like a vent instead of bars. And then his mattress is like in like hooked into the concrete of the floor and there's a bathroom, but down the middle of the wall, there's like a red crack all the way down. And that gave me sinister vibes for sure. When you say it like that, yeah, it does. I mean, it's the same writer, director, and Ethan yeah. Hawk. So, I mean, that absolutely could be a nod. Just like, yeah. Because when, when you said that the same writer and actor from Sinister, all I remember is like the cover of Sinister is like with the red line down the wall with his hand. Yeah. And I was like, the whole time I was like, mm. so we we switched to Gwen is at her friend's house, and then the friend's phone rings, and the friend's mom says, "Gwenny, your dad's on the phone for you," and we get no words. The sound kind of cuts out too, but Gwen's face just says everything. She knows what's up. She immediately runs out the door, runs home. We know that everybody knows the grabber got Finny. Yep. At this point, if your child doesn't come home, it's the grabber. So she goes home and she immediately just starts praying. And it goes back to Finney and the black phone starts ringing again. And the grabber is back in the basement with a smile mask this time. And he says that that phone hasn't worked since he was a kid. So he kind of insinuates that this was his childhood home. So I don't know. There's not a lot of people who grow up live and die in their childhood homes anymore it's just not I mean, a thing not anymore but yeah I mean, in the 70s i i'd absolutely believe it because yeah i mean if it's the 70s maybe I, it was bought in like the 30s who knows yeah i really don't know i mean and they don't ever give the grabber an age i know ethan hawk is like 51 or 52 now mm-hmm. i don't know exactly if his character age is supposed to be you know 50 I mean, he still looks young enough and obviously he can whip around, you know, children. So he's got some kind of gruff to him. So I don't know exactly how old he is or, or, you know, how long he's been in that house. Yeah. Finney is trying to talk to the grabber and the grabber is kind of being really conversational. He's just, you know, everything's all fucked up. And I'm like, felt that I get it. But he's saying that he won't be able to be down there as much as he normally would. So Finney says, you're the one who killed all the other kids. And the grabber just says, that wasn't me. Which I have something to discuss that I will save for later about that. But then uh, Finney is kind of asking, like, you know, who was on the phone? Does someone know I'm here? Did somebody see me? And the grabber's face mask, he just, like, shakes his head. He's like nope because he knows he got away with it yeah but we know and Finney has figured out somehow somewhere somebody will be in the grabber's house and Finney will scream and they'll hear him and then the grabber says no we won't not with the door shut so Finney says he and the grabber is just not having it he does not (laughs) want to have like his own personal discussions and I think it's great it's it's a really great performance of, you know, the ups and downs and, and the way that he'll flip his emotions, he'll flip his voice. I mean, we will literally see his mask face get flipped depending on whatever's going on. And I just think that that's really good, but it's not as good as uh, whew, after the grabber says, you know, something about like, you know, I'll never make you do anything that you won't like, which kind of to me hints at like, physical or sexual assault like that's what I took out of that but Finney says if you try and touch me I'll scratch your face and then the grabber just steps even more into the light 
and he looks up like towards the spotlight in his mask and he puts his hands up and I'm doing it in the little zoom chat with Katrina and he just goes this face because obviously it's all covered and then he like flips his hands around and he's got his kinky ring on and he looks so goddamn good I don't care I don't care I don't care what anybody says the grabber is hot the end done the movie honestly could have ended and I just would have been like yes so good but um it's just a beautiful performance and Ethan Hawke like he's very feline the way he like he slinks his body around I'm sorry like I'm talking the whole time but like I really love this scene it's so 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 creepy but charming but really scary because like it's kind of like all you had to do was say the song by Taylor Swift because that is a really 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 sad song hidden behind a boppy track like it's all like synthy and exciting and the voice goes up and down but like when you listen to it I'm just like I am the saddest I will ever be and it's it's just like that like it's just you know that juxtaposition of like scary but kind of charming and alluring that's when the movie got me and I wish the grabber had grabbed me but you know here I am yeah no chance of that unfortunately for you but I will say the way that he uses his voice and everything like it is really nice but at the same time I just never know I never know when he's being sincere or honest or lying like truly you cannot tell because just like with the grabber it's one of those things where it's like I can't tell if he wants to be good or if he doesn't want to be good but it Maybe it just depends on his mood. I don't know. Well, and for me, with the grabber, I don't really care what he's saying as long as he just keeps saying it. Fair enough. So Finney's kind of making his his one last plead for information, I guess, if he can't get out. You know, he's talking about the phone and then the grabber says that, you know, he's heard the phone and Finney asks if anybody was there on the other line and the grabber just shakes his head. He's like, no and then the phone rings again right after the grabber leaves and then nobody is there so he is just out of his mind terrified because a phone is ringing but it's not even connected to the wall the phone line's cut he has no way out he rationalizes that the bed's bolted down the window's out of reach if there's anything that could be done to get out one of the other kids would have already done it so it's really sad and I like that we got the view like of um they like zoom out to the outside through the basement window and you can see Finney screaming but you it's just mute you hear nothing so it just Mm -hmm. basically proves he wasn't lying that it is soundproof which if he's had other children there it's most likely soundproofed so in the next scene we see Finney kind of like waking up and he's looking at the wall and it you hear breathing and the phone is just like in and out. And he kind of tries to shake it off, but it's still happening. And he yells at the phone to stop that. And then the grabber is there and just says, stop what? Which is terrifying because he did allude to that he wouldn't be down there as much as he normally would. So also when you wake up, you don't expect people in your room. And at this it's point, he just, yeah. And at this point, he just has, like, the bottom half of his mask smile. The grabber is getting ready to leave, and Finney asks him, what did you want? What did you need? And the grabber says, just to look at you. And he looks almost sad. Like, he looks like he's tearing up. I don't know if he's, like, reminiscing or if he's thinking about what's going to happen to him eventually. I'm really not sure. I don't know what he's doing, but he looked real good. (laughs) Uh, So the phone rings again and it's just static. And then finally he hears someone say Finney and he was scared and he hung up, which that's fair. So it starts ringing again, ringing again. And it's like a long ring. Like you can't ignore it. Like the phone has its own personality, which like I love. Yeah. And it's like, no, you're going to listen to me. Um, And the boy on the other line says, don't hang up. And he asks who it is, and he the kid says, I don't remember. 
And he's like, he's like, it's the first thing you lose. And Finney's like, the first thing you lose when? And the kid's like, Mm -hmm. you know when. Oh my God. So creepy, but like, so good. Because, I mean, Finney's not going to just assume that it's a dead boy on the phone. But he does, he does kind of figure it out when he just says, your arm is mint. You almost had me. And then he says, Bruce. And the kid's like, oh yeah. That's my name. Yeah, and then Bruce just kind of gets into kind of like helping Finney out is that there's a little hallway between like the bedroom area of the basement and then where the bathroom is. And Bruce tells Finney that he should start digging out the dirt under the tile in the hallway and then keep going and then dig out through the other side of the house. And he says, there wasn't enough time for me. And Finney asks, will there be enough time for me? And then Bruce just hangs up the phone. Yeah. We flip to a scene where what we assume is a young Bruce. He's with his family. He's having happy memories. He, you know, is getting a little bit older. He's playing with toys and then he's playing baseball. And then we skip to Finney trying to break out of a door. And it's an image of the house that he's in. So Gwen wakes up and then she just bolts out of her house. She's riding her bike around town. She's looking for him because she thinks that her dream might have led her to the place. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming the next morning, we're not sure. The grabber brings breakfast down for Finney and he's wearing his smile mask. Um, And Finney asks, what did you put in it? So he just says, salt and pepper. And he kind of giggles with it. And it's kind of funny. And it's cute. Like, he's trying to be playful. But at the same time, as fit, like Finney's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and at this point, I'm like, it, it gave me flashbacks, flashbacks to Creep. When, like, how creepy. Um, his name's not Aaron. Joseph. Is it Aaron? Joseph, yes. It was Joseph in me- the first one. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, Joseph in the first one. Uh, it was giving me Joseph vibes from Creep. And I was just like, ugh. And, and I get Joseph vibes from Creep in the end, too. No spoilers, but he then says, what do I need to drug you for? And leaves. Finney notices that the grabber did not latch the door when he left. And mm-hmm. as he's checking it out, kind of cracking it open, the phone rings and a boy's on the phone saying, don't go upstairs. It's a trap. And it's a trap. As he's on the phone, the like camera pans over and there's a dead boy right there. This scared the shit out of me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then Finney is trying to ask and figure out who he's on the phone with. He's, you know, was like, did you play baseball? Did you play basketball? And he's like, I delivered papers and told him what his name was. And he's like, I'm not that person anymore. Just call me paper boy. And he, Billy tells him it's a trap. Don't go upstairs because he's waiting for you and he's going to beat you with a belt. It hurts real bad. And I made a comment that I was like, Finn should know because sure he's been beat with a belt before, but maybe not to the extent of the grabber. I also put down that uh, Rachel would have willingly walked into that kitchen. And oh yeah, it- absolutely. I think that the this scene is really incredibly blocked too because Finney's on the phone and you know like people kind of get like that focused look in their eyes like when they're on the phone you know they're not really looking at anything and he doesn't see the body of Billy like looking at him and moving around talking to him so it's really interesting the way that it's played out because Finney's just talking to somebody on the phone but they're both still like acting off of each other and choreographed and I thought that that was really cool yeah and it also shows the grabber upstairs like sitting on a chair in front of the stove like spread eagle shirtless with a frowny face mask on with a belt in his hand just waiting he looking he looking real good his chest did look very nice in that shot I will give him that well, and I um, think him, like, not having his shirt on is because he expects Finney to go upstairs. So, it, like, he's not going to get blood on his shirt because mm-hmm. he's going to wail on this kid. But yeah. Billy and- has downstairs and told him 
you know, not don't go upstairs. And then Billy puts his hand on the phone and, and taps on the receiver to end the call. And it is so beautiful. Yeah. And I think he does like open the basement door and he like kind of goes up the stairs, but he never fully goes upstairs at this point. Yeah. Um, I think he like scares himself. Yeah. Good and for doesn't him. go upstairs. But so when he decides not to go upstairs, he goes back into his dungeon and starts eating the eggs and drinking the water that the grabber had given him. Mm-hmm. So in the next scene, um, we see Gwen at school and she's fallen asleep in class. And the teacher was very nice, told her to go to the nurse, go get, go take a nap, like get a nap, which at least they're understanding. And they're, you know, she's obviously stressed and having not a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But during the same time, in the grabber's basement, Finney answers the phone again when it rings, and then it's Billy again on the phone, and he tells him that there's a cable under the wall that he got out when he was in the basement that he hid back under the wall so he can take that out and use it to, you know, to try and escape. And then kind of, not like shot for shot, like timeline, but we know that Gwen is asleep And then we kind of have another dream sequence and then Gwen is dreaming and sees how Billy was taken. And I would just like to point out that we see Billy on his little paper route for a couple of minutes and he took his golden retriever with him. But when the grabber has taken Billy and the van is driving away, Billy's bike is knocked over, but the dog is still just like sitting there. He's doing like a couple barks. Like I I don't feel like the dog really tried that hard to save his boy but I would just like to say that the dog is totally fine so (laughs) it's okay it's probably better for the dog that the dog didn't try and I feel like that's what Mongo would do he would just sit there and be like pet me he would let somebody steal me for sure yeah for sure but Gwen is getting pieces of what's going on with each victim in the same way that Finney is directly talking to them. And I saw something where it was like, obviously, you know, Gwen is having the dreams. The dad has said something about, you know, your dreams aren't real. You're not like your mother. But somebody in some article I read, and I can't remember what it was, somebody had pointed out, well, Finney is talking on the phone to these people. And the grabber said, you know, he's heard the phone ring, but nobody has been there. And Bruce said on his first phone call that the phone rang for him, but he didn't even hear it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's some kind of supernatural shine that both of the kids have, which we can assume they've inherited from their mother. And I thought about that because basically anytime Finney is on the phone is when Gwen is typically having a dream. So like he has to be on the phone for her to have that vision. Or that dream. That's a really good point. Because later we'll talk about when she gets really angry at Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. And the next morning, yeah, a good scene. when she wakes up and she's mad she didn't have a dream, she's in the bathtub. She has it in the bathtub while Finney's on the phone. So I think that's, that's a really good call out. But I, I don't know if Gwen is the extra connection for Finney or if Finney also has that connection because he never claims to have any dreams. I just think that Gwen's connection is so strong that their relationship is allowing him to hear the boys on the phone. Yeah, that works. Um, Cause we get a new scene where Gwen goes to talk to her dad and she's, you know, it's like, you promise you won't get mad. And he's already like, um, (laughs) Okay, but, you know, it's one of those things, like, you know, it's not going to be that good of a conversation if it's starting off that way. But the dad explains to Gwen, because she's saying that she's having dreams, and what if they can help them find Finney? And the dad says that her mother was sick, and I say that in quotes, was sick, was seeing things, and things just got worse. So we learn that she 
eventually committed suicide because of what she was saying. I don't know what she was saying. I don't know what her experience was, but apparently it was powerful enough to guide her to take her own life. And the dad doesn't want anything like that to happen to his kids. So his method of coping beyond drinking, which, you know, kind of forces the abuse is if he doesn't acknowledge it, then it's not there. I did think that it was really sweet because after they had their talk about everything, he takes her on a car ride so that she can look at the houses to see if she recognizes any of them to try and find Finney. And I, yeah. I thought that was really and, cute. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, the movie is just complex. Everybody, every character is a whole person with, you know, good traits, bad traits, you know, some are better or worse than others, but they're still all full people. And I, I do believe that, you know, people or parents who are, who are abusive, they can still love their kids and not, I mean, obviously he went through a trauma, his wife and the mother of his kids killed herself. It's not an excuse and he should not be doing those things, but it's just something that you can understand what's going on mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's sad but and it's one of those things you know when people don't ask for help they struggle and others suffer at that uh-huh at their at the detriment of them not asking for help yeah we should get better help to sponsor us because <laughs> therapy would have helped that family a whole lot and the grabber oh we'll get to that yeah because because the next scene we get to the cops are canvassing and knocking on doors and asking, you know, have you seen this child? And we open up the door and it's James Ransone is the actor playing a character called Max. He uh, played deputy so-and-so in Sinister, also with Ethan Hawke and the writer-director. So I'm just like, they're just bringing their whole family in this. I love it. And Max is yelling at the barking dog from when the cops knock on the door to you know be quiet samson and then he's like oh my god it's the cops you guys are here come come look at all the investigating i've been doing and he's got his own like push strings pin connected board. to tax yeah yeah like looking yeah. at everything and he's like i think that because he's stealing the kids in broad daylight in these certain areas he's got to be able to get them someplace so he's kind of made a couple little quadrants for where he thinks the grabber might live mm-hmm. uh, and because where he's hiding these kids and the cops are just like uh, okay you're yeah. crazy but Max is like we're working on this case together and they just give him the card um, like for the department and it's like if you see anything or you get any further in your case you know wink wink then call us and let us know and then the other cop is like maybe you should clean up around here and then Max look at it looks at the coffee table and he's like oh shit because he's got like a few lines of coke just out just and, ready I to mean, yeah he and he's acting like he's coked out because he is just like you know the the focus. meme of the guy with the uh that's like this with like the all the strings behind him yeah from always sunny in philadelphia yeah that's that's max at this point yeah it is and it's great but then we see um Max he just sits down and he's like well okay and then he still just does a line he's like I'll clean it up just with his nose but in that we also learn that um Max is staying at his brother's house he's not from the area so he's like he's just interested in the case and he's visiting his crashing at his brother's place so after we see um Max clean up his coke we get like a (laughs) shot of him sitting on the couch just chilling and the camera pans down kind of like goes through the floor and then is in the basement and we see finn honestly i feel like i have so many thoughts about this that we should probably separate this into two parts otherwise people are gonna be like this is a four-hour podcast shut up (laughs) yeah uh you're gonna need a break listening to us talk so we're going to leave it here and come back for part two because we have a lot of opinions i have a lot of opinions about this movie and i know i know you do too and i really want to leave some time at the end to like 
I want to know about all your thoughts because we haven't really discussed this movie in depth. So we can, we can go to it. So yeah. um, thanks for sticking with us. It's our first two parter, but uh, we will see you on the next one. Bye. Yay. Bye. Bye.